Brian Smith here, and welcome to the Dream Path Podcast, where I try to get inside the heads of talented creatives from all over the world. My goal is to demystify and humanize the creative process and make it accessible to everyone. Now let's jump in. Brother Jason, welcome back to the Duocast, my friend. Happy to be here, Brian. Thanks. So we're here to recap Roman Molino Dunn. Oh, yeah. That uh, just launched last week. What did you think? Well, of course, it's another awesome interview, man. I mean, Roman Molino Dunn, to me, is someone I find pretty fascinating because, you know, like when we talked to Richard Patrick and Anthony Willis before, you know, I've always wondered how people score films or TV shows. I've always wanted to do it. I've always been interested in it and wanted to try it. So, uh, you know, along with the conversation, when you asked him how he does all of it, and when he said that he does all of his work in Pro Tools, uh, a light kind of went off in my head. And I started thinking about whether or not I should uh, maybe look into Pro Tools or find another program where I could experiment with video and sound more. And then I discovered that I had the ability to do this the whole time with my recording DAW Reaper. And I stumbled across a tutorial a couple days ago. I think I told you I uh, watched a video by a guy named Kenny Joya. He's the guy who created Reaper. And he broke it down pretty simply. And it's a pretty simple process. So I'm now officially using Reaper as both my audio and video making tool. So thank you, Roman Molino Dunn, for the inspiration for that. Also, as a musician, I'm impressed with Roman's ability to uh, compose the music from scratch and add his personal touch to the films he works on. You can really tell he puts a lot of thought and emotion into his work. It's a craft, you know? Yeah, it was neat to hear him break it down the way he did. Mm -hmm. And I'm glad I asked those technical questions because I know techie questions can sound kind of kind of geeky and you know we geek out on gear and mm -hmm. technical issues but really one of the barriers to entry mm -hmm. for professions like this is the black box of film composition mm -hmm. is is not very transparent and also just the whole process of how do you take a film image and add music to it mm -hmm. in real time record it in real time as you're watching the film and then present it to the director in a way that they're able to give input and help, you know, revise and turn it into a final product. And Roman really helped us understand that process. So that's what I really like about this show is we're able to go in directions that satisfy our own curiosity, but at the same time, we're opening up a world to our listeners too, that maybe they didn't know about that seems more accessible to them as a result. Right. Yeah. Another thing I liked about Roman is that he works on not just big budget movies like The Card Counter with Martin Scorsese, executive producing, and Paul Schrader, big time writer, director, right. uh, directing, but he works on a lot of indie films, a lot of television. He writes and produces music for reality TV stars, RuPaul's Drag Race. Right. He has his hands in a lot of different media. So he has this broad range of experience to draw from. Right, he does. And it's really a profession that I don't think folks, when they're growing up, really know a lot about or even know exists. So I like opening up those worlds on this podcast. Yeah, I think that's great. Um, I've always had the interest in doing that. I've, I've still yet to try it. Um, I'm just, I don't know. I think you have to be, to be able to kind of throw music onto a film, find the emotional connection to it and put it on there. You know, that's a talent. First of all, I don't watch a lot of movies anymore. I, I do to a degree. But, you know, there's something about music on a film that just makes the film. I mean, it can take a film that it's just kind of dragging along and 
really put a lot of feeling to it. You know, it could really bring out yeah. the uh, darkness of the film. And maybe it's a happy moment. You put some happy music on there. Or like Roman was saying, you use an older song to kind of create nostalgia. Yeah. And so that's some of the stuff that you have to kind of keep in mind if you're doing that kind of work. It is. It's a subconscious element of film viewing. Mm -hmm. And I think it's supposed to be, you're really not supposed to be thinking about sound design or scoring as you're watching the film. You're just supposed to be in the story, experiencing the emotions that come up naturally because of the music, because of the dialogue and action, what's happening. But um, it's nice to highlight that unconscious or subconscious aspect of filmmaking, bring it out into the open, figure out what that entails. How does this come together? And why do you make the choices you make? Like we talked with Roman about the kiss scene mm -hmm. and what is your go-to instrument and sound for romantic kiss versus maybe a kiss that's a little more ominous with a character who the audience knows is bad, right? but maybe the person kissing them doesn't know at that time that they're bad. right? And so to hear those details on those choices is fascinating. And I appreciate Roman sharing that with our listeners. I think the um, in the movie industry, they call it sweetening. One example that I can kind of draw to is they showed Star Wars before any music had been put to it. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's the most boring film. It's, you know, it's stormtroopers and Darth Vader walking around <laughs> and it's just, there's no emphasis on the power of Darth Vader and his stormtroopers coming into the room. And then, you know, that you hire somebody like John Williams, I believe it was, that did the score for that movie, uh, this big, impressive kind of thunderous music comes in when Darth Vader enters the room and it kind of puts you back in your seat like, oh shit, that's Darth Vader. Mm -hmm. So yeah, music adds so much to film and it's just impressive to see it done the way it's done, especially big time composers like John Williams, but also Roman Molino Dunn. Yeah. As a great example with Star Wars, because you're right. Mm -hmm. So, so you can watch these little fighter ships. What are they called, Jason? I'm not sure. The X, the, the X fighters. And then there's the, oh, the Millennium Falcon and all of that. Yeah. The Millennium Falcon and the, yeah, the X fighters. So you can see those floating through space or flying through space. But if you don't have the music, that's right. You would be bored as shit. I mean, <laughs> I'm glad that you brought up that example of Star Wars because I think it's an extreme example of how important music is to a film, especially an action film like that. Yeah. In fact, I think George Lucas, I think they turned his film down. A couple of different people turned it down. They just said, you know, it just doesn't have anything to it, you know, and then he put the score on it and all of a sudden Darth Vader, dun, 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 you know. Oh, totally. And it's yeah. like, it's like, oh shit, this means something, you know, so. Yeah. And it's also music too that you can play. I mean, how often does a film score make it into the consciousness of an entire nation mm -hmm. and that lasts for decades because you can hum that scene. Mm -hmm. you, all you have to do is hum it. Dun, 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 dun. Or the Jaws theme. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, yes. Dun, dun. That ominous cello. How, imagine how boring Jaws would be without that music. <laughs> it, would be, it would be terrible. Yeah. I mean, it, it already is terrible when you look back on it and you see the animatronics. I mean, just the horrific animatronics of, uh, of the shark itself. But, you know, back in the day, that music was integral to the whole film. Oh, and of course, you know, I was a kid, so it scared the shit out of me. So, yeah. Well, thanks, Roman Molino Dunn, for 
being on the show and great episode. Yep. So Jason, something happened this week. We lost one of the great talking about composers mm. and songwriters. Uh, Stephen Sondheim passed away. That's right. And I don't know what he meant to you, but for me, when I think of Stephen Sondheim's work and the plays and songs that I most connected to, I go to kind of a lesser known play that he wrote music and lyrics for, and that's Into the Woods. Mm. The reason I go to that musical is my oldest daughter, Whitney, was in Into the Woods. She had a pretty big part in that play in high school. And so I went to that play, must have been five different performances or more. And it was long. I mean, it was a good two and a half hours long. The seats were incredibly uncomfortable in this old, <laughs> outdated auditorium at Davis High School. Oh, yeah. I've been there. Just a very uncomfortable place to see a play. But I thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it, not just because my daughter was in it, but because plays, all of the work that you put into a, putting on a musical, plays in general, but especially musicals, mm -hmm. there's so much vulnerability on stage. There's so much hard work that's put into that. Oh, yeah. And these kids put in so much effort and energy over months to put on this play. And I was there taking pictures and recording and and so it sort of got embedded in my consciousness, like every lyric, every note, every line of dialogue in this play, I got to know intimately. And so it means a lot to me, nostalgically, to think about Sondheim and Into the Woods. I haven't seen all of his work. You know, Sweeney Todd, I've seen in movie form, mm -hmm. but, you know, that's a 1979 play that he wrote the music and lyrics to. Right. Uh, but it was turned into a film with Johnny Depp, of course, and Sasha Baron Cohen. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, West Side Story, we all know West Side Story. So there's a few of his plays that I know pretty well. Right. Most of them I don't. But even that one play that really hit me into the woods, that one musical, made me appreciate Sondheim to the point where I had to take a moment after he passed away and I had to look at his playography, if that's a word, or his list of plays that he's written music and lyrics for right? and reflect on that and just say, this guy made a big impact on the arts and culture in America. Absolutely. And uh, so good for him and what a good run he had. No doubt. You know, I don't, I don't know a lot about him, but just hearing the name Stephen Sondheim, I automatically think of Broadway theater in New York, you know, mm -hmm. because his name is so it's synonymous. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I know he was highly regarded as a composer and lyricist in that realm and received a lot of accolades and praise for his contribution to Broadway theater. So that's pretty much all I know in terms of his long career and just the recognition as a composer. But uh, what comes to my mind on a personal level when I hear the name Stephen Sondheim is the song he wrote called Send in the Clowns. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize he wrote that. Yeah, he wrote that. Uh, Frank Sinatra had like the first recording of that. I think it was like early 70s. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people have covered it. Barbra Streisand covered it in the 80s. But the version that I love the most is by Judy Collins. Hmm. And I think she had the biggest hit with that song. And the reason I say I have a personal connection to that song and that version in particular is my parents had the Judith album by Judy Collins and would play that song quite a bit. And I remember uh, pretty much like it was yesterday, I was probably five or six years old hearing that song and crying. It would make me cry. Really? Yeah. What? Yeah. And I can remember my parents asking me, what was wrong? You know, what, what's wrong? And just me saying, I don't know. But, you know, it was the song. 
that was doing it. Yeah. And whether it be the arrangement of the song or Judy's voice or the words or basically the combination of all of it is just an absolutely beautiful song. So yeah, that's one way I connect with Stephen Sondheim. And I just consider him a true legend. Yeah. That's a testament to what a powerful songwriter he was. Yeah. And I, I think that's true of these plays in general and these musicals. They really evoke a lot of emotion in the audience. And for me, the reason I cry at musicals and plays is there's so much vulnerability up on the stage. And I think as you're pointing out with Send in the Clowns, which is a great song, but it's the style of music mm -hmm. that really makes the singer vulnerable mm -hmm. because they're talking about things that are you know, real emotions and they're putting themselves out there. And depending on who is singing it, they can create the impression that they're really feeling it as they're singing it, like Judy Collins. Yes, yes. I think that's one of the most magical things about art is the ability to take human beings from all different walks of life and put them in the same room. They listen to and watch the same thing over the course of two hours, mm -hmm. and they all come away moved in some way, right? in a, in a compelling way. Another thing that I love about musicals, like stage plays, and uh, in Sondheim's music in particular, in the context of those plays, is that they occur in a setting that is usually not recorded and therefore will never happen again. Right. So, so what you're seeing up on the stage is all of these actors who have put in all of this work, training, working on their voice, remembering lyrics. And it's never going to unfold the same way every single night. That's right. So you're watching a unique performance, and uh, they're all paying homage to Stephen Sondheim by singing his music and lyrics, which are the same every night, but the performance is different every night. That's right. And so that's what brings me, that's what brings me to tears. Even if happy plays, I cry because of how special that moment is and how unique it is and how we'll never get it back. And uh, it's, there's a little sadness to it, but also it's just so powerfully emotional. I, I don't know how else to describe it other than an overwhelming sense of specialness. Totally. Yeah. And when I listen to that song in particular, I still think about my dad and it's, it's just one of those melancholy songs that kind of, you know, it's melancholy, but it's also very powerful. And I don't know if you've listened to a lot of Judy Collins, but she has such an amazing voice that just carries, you know? And so, yeah, I appreciate that song and I appreciate Stephen Sondheim, even though I'm, you know, I'm not a big Broadway person. I can appreciate his art mm -hmm. and his, his uh, abilities. And so rest in peace. Rest in peace indeed. So Jason, I, I don't know that we've talked about this before today, but mm -hmm. this duo cast that we're recording right now mm -hmm. is officially episode 150 for Dream Path Podcast. Wow. <laughs> we have killed it this year, man. Yeah, yeah, we've come a long way. We really have. I think we've done, uh, I think we did 63 episodes this year. Really? Yeah, that's including the- 63. Including solo cast and duo cast, yeah. Okay, that's great. Yeah, well, 150, right on. It's a nice milestone, man. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't get into this for numbers and to see how many we could record and you know set a record or whatever, but when you think about how many times we've sat down together, how many times you've put on those headphones- those cans and edited <laughs> audio and stayed up late at night working with me on deadlines to crank out episodes and get them out on time every single week yep. for the last uh, going on three years now. Yep. 
it is kind of a milestone to be proud of. I am. And um, so thanks for being with me on this journey, my friend. Oh, yeah. I love it. This is a, it's a great learning experience. It's just fun. You know, we get to learn a lot. Not only that, but you and I get to talk about it and discuss it and just have fun with it. So, Jason, just recently I gave you the news yes. that I was issued press credentials, press accreditation for the Sundance Film Festival 2022. Right on. And I could not be more excited to get back in the game and start looking at films, independent films, and talking to filmmakers who are at the most preeminent film festival in the country, if not the world, in Park City. And I'm just excited to be working on that project with you, brother. Hey, I'm really looking forward to that, and I'm so glad that you got approved, man. I know we were talking about that, and you were kind of concerned about it, but no, man, you got it in the bag. I think this is uh, this is a great gig for you, and I know you enjoy it so much. Yeah, I'm not going to go in person this year. I just want to be extra careful because I have a grandchild that lives with me. That's right. So I'm going to do most of it online, if not all of it, and watch the films online and do the interviews online. Mm-hmm. And then perhaps in 2023, revisit the possibility of going to Park City again. That would be awesome. In-person interviews are always fun. Yeah, and being there in the buzz is really exciting. I miss that. Yeah. But at the same time, I want to be prudent and careful and put health first. I'm not sure I want to be at a big event like that for another at least six months until we get a handle on better therapeutics and you know more people vaccinated and that type of thing. That's right. I do want to get back to in-person interviews, not full-time, but I think I want to have the option of doing that. And that's what has been so nice about the last part of 2021 is that uh, with folks who are vaccinated, like Mark Pickerel, travel to them Mm -hmm. and kick it old school, you know, bust out the mics, bring a photographer and have that face-to-face connection. I love it. Yeah, I can't wait. So Jason, the next interview, what we have to look forward to, which is already in the can, is my chat with film director Tim Sutton, who directed the film The Last Son, starring Sam Worthington from Avatar and Machine Gun Kelly nice. of Megan Fox. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's how I know Machine Gun Kelly is that he is dating Megan Fox. But he's also a very accomplished musician and uh, quite an actor, actually. So I watched The Last Son and listeners will hear me talk about this in the intro to the interview with Tim Sutton, which launches next week. But that is a classic Western with some new twist to it to make it pretty unique. Mm. But it follows the Western genre pretty closely. Nice. I love Westerns. One of my favorite movies of all time is Unforgiven mm-hmm. with Clint Eastwood. Yep. And The Last Son is beautifully shot. It was shot in Montana. But it also is extremely dark and almost mystical in the journey that some of these characters are on. Sam Worthington plays the villain. It's no secret, I'm not spoiling anything when I say that he is hunting down his own children and killing them one by one. Jeez. Yeah. And so the conflict in the film is centered around that point. Heather Graham is in the movie. Thomas Jane from Hung is in the film. Nice. And it's a really solid Western. And it was fun to talk to Tim about his other work. I watched some of his other films like Funny Face from 2020 hmm. and Donnie Brook. So he's, he's got quite a filmography under his belt over the last decade. And he's definitely an indie filmmaker from the standpoint that he has strong opinions about the types of movies that he's going to make. And he's not going to compromise. He's not going to be reckless 
in the way that he approaches financing a film and trying to make sure that it's somewhat commercially sellable and attractive to future financers on future films. He's a renegade, and uh, he's not afraid to lean into darkness and violence when it's necessary, and also go in places that commercial films just don't go. And we talk about that in the interview. It was pretty cool to talk to Tim about his process and about also what's coming up next. And he's got some pretty exciting projects going on right now, including developing an adaptation into film of a short story by Tobias Wolf called The Chain. Nice. Nice. It, it sounds it sounds very cool. I'm going to have to check him out because that's the kind of stuff that I like too. I'm not a big Western guy. I do like some Westerns. My my favorite go-to Western is Tombstone. So The Unforgiven is, is great as well. It's a great film, but yeah, I like it. Yeah. To- Tombstone's great too. Yeah. No, it is. It's a nice, very well-made film. And uh, yeah, I like that. What you were talking about, the uh, premise of the film sounds sounds really cool, but also kind of weird. Like he's hunting down his kids. <laughs> I've felt like doing that before, you know, just hunt them down and no. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Yeah. You know, there are times, you know, you just got to hunt them down, get rid of them. (laughs) Of course, I'm kidding, folks. Yeah. No, I totally kind of. (laughs) So, so Jason, uh, in addition to Tim Sutton's interview, which launches next week, Mm -hmm. we have some end of the year planning to do. We have to put together an annual recap of the highlights from the interviews from 2021. Of course, we're not going to be able to recap every single one of them. No. But you and I have to get together and figure this out soon. Absolutely. I've, I've already picked out my favorites. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you about that shortly. Maybe we could uh, brainstorm, as they call it. Sounds good, man. Awesome. What do you have planned for next year? Great question, Jason. I think we're going to focus on getting ready for Sundance and lining up all those interviews because that is the last week of January. So it's going to sneak up on us. So we have some planning to do to make sure that that goes flawlessly. And outside of Sundance, I don't know what else to expect in 2022, but I'm sure it'll be fun. All right. Sounds good. I mean, we'll just see what happens. All right, brother. Good chatting with you. You too, Brian. Hey, thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If so, I have a favor to ask. Can you go to wherever you listen to podcasts and leave me a review? Your feedback is what keeps this podcast going. You can also check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook with the handle at DreamPathPod. And as always, go find your dream path. <laughs>